0: Welcome to the Chris Rawl Show. You can find all of my work published at www.chrisrawl.com. You can find me on Twitter or on Facebook, also at Chris Rawl. If you want to contact me in any way, please email me at chris at ceo.com. Now, on to today's episode, where, after much fanfare about expansion last summer, the college football playoff is not expanding after all. College football is all about anarchy for good and for bad. And I want to examine both of those spheres, how they overlap, how they comprise this sport that is beautiful at times, maddening at other times, and kind of a combination of both of those things at all times, and how the recent news that the college football playoff is remaining status quo for the next four years uh, kind of ties into this anarchy. Again, for good and for bad. Now, there are two sides, in my opinion, to college football and its relationship with anarchy. First is very good. It's the -the on-the-field product that is awesome, that is anarchy in the finest sense of the word, and there is the -the off-the-field aspect, which is anarchy uh, carrying the negative connotation that it normally carries, just the shit show that college football is off the field, this sport that has no governing body and really no idea what it is doing at any given point in time. Now, I've been thinking about this a good amount over the last week because not too long ago, the conference commissioners and Notre Dame athletic director, Jack Swarbrick, they met to go over these supposed plans for playoff expansion. And last week they announced, actually, you know, we can't really come to a place that any of us agree on. So we're just gonna kinda keep chilling until playoff contract is over and we can renew stuff with television rights and all that kind of stuff. I've been thinking about college football, the season that occurred on the field up until the very end was awesome. And this great looming cloud that exists hovering over the sport. the Fact that nobody can agree on anything and it seems like nothing's ever solved off the field. Now I was reading something from Bill Connolly, Uh, Last week was about the top 60 games of the college football season. I got very interested and, and was reading it, getting excited about college football next year. And I came across this paragraph that I think is a really good representation of kind of what I'm talking about here this anarchy that exists for good and for bad within the sport. And I want to read it to you. College football makes itself hard to love sometimes. The money has primarily gone to all the wrong places, coaches' salaries, and expensive locker room features have increased sharply during an era of skyrocketing revenues, and players weren't allowed to profit off anything until about eight months ago. And in the meantime, coaches' salaries rose even further. Meanwhile, the people in charge of this goldmine of a sport have, well, there really aren't any people in charge. The game itself, however, is just about perfect. It has roles for all sorts of different sizes, shapes, and body types, it requires chess-level strategy, and it depends on 18 to 22-year-olds, which gives it a level of silliness and instability that professional football can only sometimes provide. That combination can create absolute magic." End quote. So this really captures my own thoughts and feelings on the matter quite well. Uh, and I'll start with the on-field representation and the relationship that Anarchy on the field has always had in the sport, and the way that it has kind of always been attached at the hip to the off the field stuff, and how they pretty much have worked at odds with one another since the inception of the sport. Now, I've spoken to this in the past, but I'll reiterate college football at its best, it's a sport that says the journey is always more fulfilling than the destination. The national championship, the national title, okay, fine, whatever. We can talk about that when it comes. However, the beauty of the sport and what attracts so many people to it including myself the journey it's the same teams looming there every season your rivals your main rival over rivalry week conference title races divisional title races all that kind of stuff uh, in 2021 was uh, i think a really good representation of that awesome regular season had the upsets galore that all college football fans crave when you have these behemoths going against teams that might not be as good and then somehow a 30 point underdogs winning or a Three touchdown underdogs winning. you get a team like Alabama going on the road to college station against AM and getting upset. It was great. We had the epic rivalry week that I really loved, kind of uh represented by two large upsets, but also two teams really breaking back into their rivalry games. Michigan beating Ohio State after many years of not doing that, and Oklahoma State beating Oklahoma after many years of not doing that as well. It's a very exciting regular season. I was Really, really, really drawn to it in a way that I hadn't been the last couple of years. However, then we get to the playoff, and I'm kind of reminded, oh, the sport now cares about the destination more than it ever has, the playoff, and the playoff is not really representative of what I believe the sport is. So the playoff, it gives us two duds in the semis, Alabama Blast, Cincy, Georgia Blast, Michigan, and then that's followed by a rematch in the national title game. Good football game. Alabama-Georgia, well-played, enjoyable in that respect. But just kind of leaving that uh, maybe stale feeling that the playoff has kind of created where we see a matchup that has already occurred in the regular season, we go, eh, all right, this didn't really happen in the past and I don't necessarily know how I feel about it because the beauty of this sport has always been the one-and-done style of being. Now, I would argue that the sport of college football has kind of always understood that the journey is greater than the destination. Both the people who are involved, playing for it, coaching for it, that kind of stuff, but also fans off the field, uh, media members in charge of covering the sport, in charge of voting on the sport and determining the national champion as it was done for many, many years. I think that everybody kind of understood deep down, even if it was on a subconscious level, that the beauty of this sport is not in who is crowned the national champion. Uh, and I would say you could go back a long time ago to get a good sense of that. Now, I would say that this, uh, this time in college football, we're talking back in the 1930s, it's representative of both sides of the sport. Uh on-field anarchy, which, imagine football in the 1930s, <laughs> just a bunch of grubby wing T formations running full back dives. 50 times a game. That's the good stuff, in my opinion. But also, the 1930s, 1936 specifically, that's when the Associated Poll is introduced. Associated Press gets together and says, Oh, this sport seems like it's gaining steam. We're going to create a body of writers, people who cover this sport, and they're going to vote for who they think the good teams are. And especially at the end of the season, we'll release our final poll, and whoever sits at number one. We'll crown them the AP national champion. So this kind of sets off a little bit of the off-field anarchy aspect of college football. And it's not as, it doesn't mean that much at the time. Because again, I think this is, you know, this is 90 years ago. And people didn't care about the national championship in a way that it really has overtaken the sport within the playoff era. This is at a time when it's regionalized. And you just played your rivals and you went home and you didn't really think you're Nebraska, you're not thinking about what Florida's doing this season. If you were USC, you weren't worried about what Army was doing this season. If you were Army, you weren't sitting there worried what Oregon was doing this season. You just played the teams that you played every year and then you went home. And then the Associated Press comes along and says, all right, here's a poll. And now we can kind of start trying to rank these teams on a more national level. Uh, and in 1950, We have the coaches poll introduced. Second poll comprised of, yes, coaches within the sport. Now we have a bunch of other polls coming out over this time frame. 1950s onward, you know, you have riders getting together. You have, I mean, go and look at the history of the sport and you can find 50 different polls that came out. Or you could be crowned a national champion of the Chris Rall goober squadron because i me and my five friends got together and voted on who the national championship was and then army is giving themselves a national champion at the end of the season this is craziness but it's also the history of the sport now these two polls in particular they're the ones that come to represent the entire poll era which goes on for many many years up until 1998 associated press and the coaches poll and i want to make a quick note when we think about how people cared about the national championship in the past and the off-field anarchy of college football, and compare that to what it has become in present day, I would say, think about the importance of these two things, the AP poll and the coaches poll, and think of who is actually in charge of coming up with a national championship or a national champion in both of these areas. Associated Press, (laughs) I mean, we all know sports writers, you know? They're the goobers with jelly on their shirts, unfortunately. They're the people who are on Twitter all day just tweeting 600 times, and they're very angry. And sometimes they're very knowledgeable, and other times they're just, you know, kind of hard-headed like all humans tend to be. Uh, Sometimes they're in charge of voting for the NFL MVP, and one of 50 voters is saying, I'm not going to vote for Aaron Rodgers because I think he's a bad guy. These are sports writers, right? They come to the table with all sorts of flaws and insecurities in the same way that I do, you do, every human being on earth does. Now, what's a little bit weird is when you posit yourself as this unbiased arbiter of knowledge and say, "No, I'm putting all my biases aside. We're going to come to the table and we're going to decide the national champion in the great common good of everybody." And that's just impossible to do. But that's the history of the AP poll. Uh, and the coaches' poll is actually worse in that sense, because if you think about coaches voting in a poll to determine who the best college football teams are, we're talking about the people. Or coaching on Saturdays. They literally watch one game. It's their own game. If they have the opportunity to watch any other games, it's going to be in film study the next week of teams or the team that they're playing that week or teams that are still on their schedule. They're not watching your random game between Louisville and Florida State and going, oh, Florida State looks pretty good. Maybe I'll bump them up. It's not possible for them to do that. They don't have the time. They are 24 hours around the clock recruiting and coaching in their own games and then studying for upcoming games. Now, that creates an even more bizarre environment to say this poll actually matters. People who don't watch the games and don't know and can only speak knowledgeably about their team and the teams on their schedule are somehow supposed to rank 100 plus teams and give an accurate depiction of who the national champion should be, who the top 10 teams should be. You understand that this is, an untenable task for this group of people. Uh, Further adding to just the bizarre nature of how the national champion has always been decided in the sport. The coaches poll, which again introduced in 1950. Up until 1974, almost a quarter of a century, they would award their national champion before the bowl games were actually played. So the regular season finishes, All right, here's the final coaches' poll ranking. Now they would go to bowl games and actually play another data point, uh, a team that's probably pretty good that gives you a better understanding of, hey, maybe this team wasn't as good or was better than we thought. No, we already put the poll out. Don't worry about it. This is what this uh, era kind of known for. Good stuff on the field, obviously. Football, great sport. College football specifically. Uh, It has the really high-level aspects that Bill Conley spoke to earlier, chess-level strategy, but there's that strangeness, the instability, the 18- to 22-year-olds playing a sport that requires a lot of of practice, a lot of cerebral understanding, and sometimes they're just not equipped for that task, which adds this extra flair that the NFL can't really bring to the table. So on the field, awesome. Off the field, (laughs) to varying degrees. Now we get into the 90s and you're still seeing this blend of on the field anarchy, off the field anarchy. I kind of chose two data points that I want to talk about because I find them to be funny and interesting as part of the history of the sport and really representative of this idea that I'm talking about. The overlap between the stuff that I think is good, the on the field anarchy, and the stuff that... Can be a real big hindrance to the sport, the off the field stuff, the the fact that nobody's in charge, the fact that everybody's kind of looking out for themselves and can't really come to an agreement on anything. Now, 1990, we end up having a split national championship because that can happen, you know. Back in the poll era, AP decides one team and coaches' poll decides another. This was a strange year because we had an on the field incident that was just a college football incident to end all incidents. Colorado, who ends up being named national champion by the Associated Press. They lose once at the start of the season. They tie another game. They already have a loss and a tie on the record going into October. They play a game against Missouri. The famous fifth down game, for those of you who follow the sport closely, you know what it is. Everybody knows. For those of you who don't, Colorado, who already has one loss and one tie on the record, can't afford anything else. They're playing Missouri. They need a touchdown at the end to win. And in the strangest referee gaffe of all time, the refs award a fifth down to Colorado. They forget to change the markers on the field. The first down judges that carry the chains around, they have to flip the little sign above that says second down, third down, fourth down. And on one of the downs, they just don't do it. And the refs on the field, somehow nobody understands that a down occurred. And so they give them a fifth down. And on the fifth down, Colorado punches in the game-winning touchdown. Eric bien great tailback now the offensive coordinator for the Chiefs. He scores a touchdown, extends their season. They go on to win out and are awarded a split national title with Georgia Tech, who's chosen by the coaches. So crazy stuff on the field, crazy stuff off the field. Which leads us into the last season of the whole era, as we know. It. It's 1997. Nebraska and Michigan split the national title. Another split national championship. Seems very bizarre in the context of any other sport, but in college football, it was just par for the course. Because you had so many people trying to give their two cents about who the national champion was. And indeed, for many of those years, I don't think people cared that much about who the national champion was. They cared about beating their rival. They cared about putting their imprint on the conference title race. And if they got to the level of trying to vie for national title, great. Let's go for it. But 90-plus percent of teams were just content to exist in the world where the national championship didn't mean anything. It was... Sports writers voting for it with a bunch of jelly on their shirt. It was coaches not watching any of the games and voting for it. So 1997, two undefeated teams. They don't play one another because conference tie-ins in the bowl games at the time. Michigan, they're chosen by the AP poll as the national champion. Nebraska, chosen by the coaches poll. Very strange stuff off the field. Again, when when you think about how the national champion was determined. But on the field, it's a fantastic season. One of the defining plays of college football history. The flea kicker, Nebraska, another game against Missouri, strangely enough. But Nebraska is down by seven. Their season's on life support on the road against ranked Missouri. They have one throw to the end zone to try and tie it. Scott Frost throws it into the belly of Sheldon Wiggins at the time. Hits his chest, pops up in the air, kicks it up in the air. Matt Davison comes screaming into the screen, dives, catches it touchdown, go to overtime, Nebraska wins. Called the Flea Kicker, again, one of the most famous plays in the history of the sport. And as far as craziness and just improbable things to witness in a sporting event, which college football gives more than any sport, uh, the Flea Kicker's up there with about anything. So again, you get the sense on the field, man, you could just channel this and get the hell out of the way off the field. This sport has everything that any sports fan could desire. But off the field, we're still just seeing you can't stay out of your own way. We have differing opinions. Nobody can agree. Nobody wants to come to the table and say, how how do we put together a plan that has a single governing body? Can we even do that in this sport with all these different teams and conferences? And is that even realistic? So the BCS gets introduced in 1998 bowl championship series. It's comprised of both of the former polls. They go into this vast formula. So the AP and the coaches, they come in, but now they start blending it together with a boatload of different computer rankings. you try and determine the matchup between number one and number two. And they get all the conferences to agree, Hey, no matter what, now we'll get number one and number two to play in a bowl. No more of that conference time stuff. We can still maintain it for the most part, but, We want number one versus number two playing at the end of the season. We're starting to care about this national championship stuff and all the other sports make fun of us because we don't care. And so let's lean into that. We have to have number one and number two play at the end of the season. So we go on a couple years and somehow five years later, 2003, we have another split national title, which is exactly what this was designed not to do. Um, The Associated Press ends up crowning USC as the national champion over LSU who was the BCS national champion. They play Oklahoma, who was ranked number two by the BCS in the BCS title game. They beat them. A lot of people think USC that year should have been playing for the national title, but just wasn't because of this formula. So the AP says, nope, we're crowning USC and we're withdrawing from the formula because we think this is too weird. And they get replaced by the Harris poll, a new poll within the BCS formula. And the AP goes, all right, we're just going to keep crowning people. And, And this goes on for another decade as people's dissatisfaction with college football's way of determining a national champion grows because this is getting more important. And again, I think people are just listening to the general hullabaloo that comes from people outside the sport. They, why do you have this sport that like somehow can't determine who is the best in it? Which ignores, again, the majority of what makes college football cool. The journey is greater than the destination. Uh, I think it's strange that people can't understand the concept that a sport could exist and be awesome, and the ultimate goal is not to determine the very best team. The goal is to do different things. To set up these rivalry games, conference salaries, again, all these stuff. But first and foremost, it's to get teams on the field and leaning into this Anarchy based brand of football that is magnetic, that is just phenomenal viewing pleasure for anybody. So now we segue into the playoff era and we segue into present day and we segue into a growing dissatisfaction from everybody, myself included, a person who did not care as much about the national champion in the past and now cares less about it because of the off the field stuff and what has really started to swallow up. Sport that I used to love significantly more than I do now. So the playoff comes about in 2014. We know the formatting for it. 13 people go and meet at a Holiday Inn every year or every week starting in October. And by season's end, they're supposed to choose the four best teams, sit there and stew your sausage and your gravy and eat your biscuits in the morning and say, Here are the four best teams. That's the playoff as we know it right now. If you think about it in those terms, it's no more or less absurd than what came before it. We got the jelly-shirted sports riders, the coaches who don't watch. Now we got the grade eating 13, we'll call them. But it's just, it's all asinine when you think about, we really care about determining a national champion. This is just not the way of doing it. <laughs> and indeed, in a sport that is so regionalized that you have 130 FBS teams and 12-game schedules and conference tie-ins, which means you barely get any crossover between conferences, you get a sense that it's really hard to try and determine the best team every year in a sport like that. So now, present day, a week ago, I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, and I mentioned what occurred last summer. So we had a miniature committee get together. They were four people from the 11-person committee that is supposed to decide the future of the college football playoff. The 11 people, that's the 10 conference commissioners and Notre Dame athletic director, Jack Swarbrick. Last summer, we have a miniature portion of that, four people. So Swarbrick's there, Greg Sankey, the commissioner of the SEC is there, Greg Thompson, the commissioner of the Mountain West is there, and Bob Bowlesby, the commissioner of the Big 12 is there. Very interesting dynamic because at the time, although they did not know it, Greg Sankey was poaching the two biggest teams from the Big 12 to migrate to the SEC. He's there with Bob Bolsby. very strange dynamic. And they're talking about the future of the playoff. And Sankey knows, yeah, we are just, we're going to completely railroad your conference within the next month when this news comes out. But they're talking about it. And they come out with a press conference last summer. This four, and, and they're so proud of themselves. And they say, we were tasked by the playoff committee to get together and determine how we can expand because I think a lot of people are dissatisfied with the four teams and we're going to we're gonna make it bigger. And we went over all the possibilities. We crossed the I's and we dotted the T's and we did the calculations and we understand everything. And we think the best version, for, we're going to change it to 12 teams moving forward. And all we got to do is now agree on it. And I think we got a great game plan laid out. And this was met with excitement by a lot of people. And if I'm choosing, everybody who listens to this show knows I'm anti-playoff. I don't want it. But if I'm choosing versions of the playoff, yeah, sure, great, okay. 12 is better than four, yeah, probably, I don't know. But I'm not against it is the main point. And I would say the vast majority of people are in favor of it. vast majority of people within the sport say, I think this will be good for us. Let's expand, let's knock it out to 12 teams, open up the table a little bit more, get guaranteed representation for all these major conferences, hopefully get guaranteed representation for a non-Power 5 team every single year. And we'll see what that looks like, whether or not it's competitive, and then we can go from there. So they're patting themselves on the back and everybody's so happy. And we kind of forget that as good as college football can be on the field, anarchy, but good. It can be the polar opposite off the field. Anarchy, bad. (laughs) Bad, bad, bad. And I think we kind of forgot that it's really hard to find common ground in a sport that is legislated by no one. So these eleven doofuses, they get together, and they all bring their own inherent biases to the table. Again, they're human beings; they're tasked with looking out for their own conferences and for Notre Dame, and they all come to the table with their different demands about what needs to occur and what cannot occur. There's already strange dynamic because the sec is getting more powerful and last summer the acc and the pac-12 and the big 10 they announced their alliance they call it which meant jack shit it didn't mean a thing they just wanted to let the sec know that they weren't going to stand by and let them overtake this sport and we got a say in it too and and it was just it was probably a pretty good symbol for what college football is. It's these just false statements and stands between people who maybe have a a slight thing in common, but when push comes to shove, they're not going to act together because they're all separate entities. And why would it be any different, right? 10 conferences in Notre Dame, they get together for over 10 meetings over the last couple months. And last week, they all come out and they're super sad and nobody's patting anybody on the back and they say, you know what? We want to let everybody know nothing's changing for the next four years until our current contract is up. Current fourteen playoff stands, four more years, just like literally nobody wanted. Not one person. Not one person involved wanted that, except the ACC. And I will guarantee you, even the fans of every team within the ACC is like, we don't want this. Nobody wants this. Nobody wants this fourteen playoff. It's shit. It's pure shit. Not enjoyable. So, 11 ADs with various desires get together. And they don't agree on anything that the fans want. It's a a good way of describing the history of the sport and the present of the sport amplified by about 100. So the ACC, the Big Ten, and the Pac-12, they vote against expansion for various reasons. Big Ten somehow is worried about what's going to happen to the Rose Bowl. ACC's adamant, no, now is not the right time for expansion they can't define why i think they're just mad but for whatever reason they can't pac 12 is worried what about where's the money going we don't how are we going to work out the revenue distribution once we expand and how's this going to work with television contracts and all that kind of stuff and nobody can agree so now we have four more years of four teams because nobody can agree on how to proceed off the field anarchy bad 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 i want to read something This comes from Chris Benini of The Athletic. Look, college football isn't about who wins in the end. Not really. That's why the sport spent a century letting voters pick multiple national champions. It has almost always been decentralized and regional. Your Alabama fans, your Clemson fans, your Ohio State fans can point to a national title as the end goal, but that's not the case for the vast majority of fans. But expansion wasn't about changing who wins in the end. I wrote that on New Year's Eve after another set of semifinal blowouts. It was about changing what matters and what we focus on. ESPN jams college football playoff talk into every conversation about the sport in an attempt at centralization for an unwieldy sport with 130 FBS teams. So the possibility that more than 30 teams could be in that conversation in November in an expanded format was enticing, end quote. So I agree with a lot of that stuff. Again, I'm... I'm on the fence with expansion. I haven't fully made up my minds, but I understand where he's coming from with that end stuff, which is essentially college football playoff talk is here to stay, especially as long as ESPN is the one charged with putting it on. It's in their best interest to get people to watch it, so they're going to talk about it every turn. They're going to jam it down our throats, and if more teams are involved with that particular discussion, yeah, that does sound enticing. Does sound good for. Fans and teams, you care about the national championship. However, that enticing stuff, again, undone. As so many things throughout the history of the sport are because of off the field anarchy that college football is known for. And in many ways, right now in present day, it's all about the playoff and everything surrounding that. But in many ways, it prevents it from being the best version of itself. So I'm going to read one more thing, which comes from Zach Bilgalki of Saturday Blitz. For the first three and a half decades of college football history, the sport's largely regional character and a relative dearth of intersectional contests between top teams rendered the concept of a national championship largely moot. Nobody really considered them or spent much time arguing over who was the best team in the country, end quote. So you see so many avenues from the past that took us to here, and in my opinion, a lot of avenues for the future, some which are possible and others that might not be as much. But I am a believer that we're kind of doomed to repeat history over and over and over and over. That's the tale of humankind. Let's look at the the historical gaffes or successes made by countries, by civilizations, by individuals over the course of time. Tell me that's not true. I feel very confident saying that we just, we repeat history over and over. The cyclical nature of being alive and being a part of civilizations. Now, I think it's interesting to think about that idea in terms of college football. Is past where the national championship mattered to a small amount of people and compared to where we are in present day, which we're kind of in a similar boat, but in a drastically different way. The difference is that you need to be a recruiting behemoth and have an entire war's chest worth of assets in order to field a team that could win a national championship and then make the playoff. That's less than 10 teams in America right now. And then it's interesting to think about this cyclical nature as we progress into the future. Think about this unstable version of the sport and really what's going to happen in four years when talks have to come to a head. College football playoff contract is up. And now these same people are going to be determined with, hey, what is the future of this sport in the sense of who's deciding the national champion? How are we doing that? Are we doing that? Um, The past of college football, completely regionalized, as Zach was talking about. And nobody really cared about this big, broader idea of who is the national champion. And in four years, we're going to have to have another drastic, maybe drastic, maybe it's just the status quo. Maybe we just agree it's four teams and keep going. I doubt that's the case. I think with conference upheaval and everything that's happening there we're gonna have a drastically different version of college football so four years time what are we gonna do expand Uh, the sec and the big ten just go and do their own thing are we going to arrive at maybe what i'm starting to think makes more sense than anything as i say how do we preserve on-field anarchy the really good stuff that college football is and try to minimize this shit show that occurs off the field because there's nobody who's in charge. And I think, well, I don't know, super league. It's I feel dirty about it in some ways, but in other ways it seems reasonable if I'm just looking at this particular problem. How do I retain what's on the field? How do I minimize what's off the field? And does the idea of splitting up and separating everybody according to their merits or their coffers or the combination of those two things And then just level the playing field within each particular conference, division, league, whatever you want to call them. Does that make more sense than this bumbling version of the sport that currently exists? Does it make more sense to just say, Big Ten, SEC, go and do your own thing and everybody else go and do whatever you want. (laughs) We don't really care, but you're not welcome here anymore. I don't know. But as the commissioners of each of these 10 conferences and the Notre Dame Athletic Director get together, I would say that's what you're searching for. Um, You're searching to maintain the anarchy on the field, that magical combination that Conley said, the silliness in a good way, the unpredictability, the strategy, but carried out by teenagers. How do we maintain all of that while doing everything possible to minimize it. All that anarchy off the field. Thank you for listening to The Chris Rawls Show. This podcast is produced by Weston Tanner. Remember, please leave this show a five-star rating and review on the podcast platform that you listen to. Please help spread the word. Thank you.